Pray with me again, and we'll look into the last part of Acts chapter 15. Father God, we come to you again in prayer because we know we need you. We are not sufficient for these things, God, but you are. And so we ask that because of what Christ Jesus, our Lord, has done, would you, by your Spirit, take your word and transform us. Help us to fear you more, to know you better, trust you more, love you more, and obey you more faithfully. Do this in us by your grace and for your own glory. Amen. Here we are coming right off the heels of a huge win for the church at large. Right off the heels of a huge win for the church where the leaders reach a, a clear consensus and they, they communicate in a letter that guards the gospel by grace through faith in Christ alone. And, and that letter commands purity, no idolatry, no sexual immorality, and it, it promotes fellowship between Gentiles and Jews. Listen, abstain from certain kinds of things because you guys are going to be fellowshipping together. You're even going to share meals together. And that, think that communication is disseminated in a letter broadly. What a big win for the church. And Paul and Barnabas, right on the heels of that, close companions in ministry, separate because they cannot agree. What do we do with it? The author Luke is moving forward this theological history to the next phase of outreach ministry. That's what Luke is doing. So this forms kind of a bridge section. It includes a substantial adjustment in Paul's missionary team going forward as well as recounting how they first visited the churches where they had already been on their previous journey. And then there will be outreach to some new locations. But here we are in this bridge, this transitional section, and Luke focuses straightforwardly on the facts. But that doesn't stop me. I say it doesn't stop us from being perplexed and perhaps even disappointed at the reality of this separation. How should we understand what takes place? And what value might this transitional but consequential episode in Acts hold for our edification and application? Read with me Acts chapter 15, beginning in thir verse 35. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. This is right after the completion of, of this letter being sent back to Antioch. They were teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And now verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. We need to take a balanced view of this passage 
admitting what we don't know and what we can't say as being very clear in the text. We must also have a balance to our application, realizing that many, if not most, of our disagreements do not fall into this category, but that it's possible that some issues we face could actually be like this. So to work through the passage, I'm going to ask us several questions that lead both through the main ideas that Luke is communicating, but also highlight for us some points of connection to our lives and maybe the kinds of situations we face. First of all, then, the giant elephant in the room is this. What could cause such disagreement between coworkers with a track record of close companionship and fellowship and ministry? And also, I'll ask us, how might, how might we know if contention is not primarily a result of our pride, our ignorance, our insistence? First, let's look then about what could make these guys be willing to divide? What kind of disagreement could do this? First, let's not forget the healthy history of these two men, plus the recent unified decision of the leaders in Jerusalem, plus their ongoing cooperation and ministry together and with others in verse 35, plus even the agreement on the major direction, the thrust of this next phase of ministry, verse 36. Let's go back and visit the churches. They're in agreement about that. They're still serving together in ministry. They have been fantastic companions. They complement one another so well. Barnabas, the elder, the encourager, uh, Saul, Paul, the bold. They complement each other so well. These are men who love following Jesus, who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they work together really, really well. But the contention arises over deciding whether or not John Mark is a suitable companion in the missionary work. There is a sharp disagreement because who our closest companions are in ministry is no small thing. So who's right? Who's right then? Well, Barnabas is consistent with the kind of Barnabas with the kind of person that Barnabas is, and he undoubtedly favors giving Mark a second chance to prove himself. That's what I expect Barnabas to be like. But verse 38 include, or indicates that Paul held deep concern over Mark's previous withdrawing from them. This deep concern of, of his withdrawing can even carry the connotation of forsaking or desertion. That's how Paul feels about it. In Acts 13, 13, when Mark didn't continue with them, but he left and went back to Jerusalem, Paul felt like that was an abandonment. He didn't continue. Paul's referring to that section that we were talking about where Mark had not accompanied them in the work. It has a connotation of, of closeness together in the work. He didn't stay with us. Paul therefore thought it best. Literally, it's a bit stronger than that. He did not consider worthy. He didn't consider it worthy. He didn't deem it worthwhile, honorable, or right. Paul didn't think it worthwhile, honorable, or right to take Mark alongside with them again on this trip. He feels pretty strongly about it. I'm pretty convinced that we don't know for sure who's right or even who is most right. 
I think you could argue that um, somebody could see Barnabas' side in this. Give the guy a second chance. I think you, you, could, you could even try to argue from the text, well, there's more a, a explanation of Paul's side, and so you might think, well, therefore, Paul is most right. However, I think I could take the opposite side and say Luke has to defend Paul's side because my people might assume Barnabas' side is right. Be gracious. So it's really hard for us to know who's most right, especially with we'll talk about how things work out. We don't know who's most right. But So from the way things turn out in the end, from the way things, no, first of all, from the way things shake out in Acts, there seems to have been great benefit and blessing to having Silas along as Paul's primary companion. We'll see how that works out. But from the way things turn out in the end, it would seem that Barnabas's position clearly had merit as well. When we take into account mentions of both Barnabas and Mark in Paul's epistles, plus the obvious fact that Mark would author one of the gospel accounts, was it worthwhile to keep after Mark? Although Barnabas does not appear again in Acts, Paul would continue to speak of Barnabas with high regard. We hear him talk about Barnabas in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Also, later, Paul and Mark seem to have, have reconciled. Philemon chapter 20, or verse 24 says, has Paul naming Mark as, as a companion in ministry. And then much later, Paul would ask Timothy in his second pastoral letter to his apprentice Timothy to bring Mark for he is useful to me for ministry. So it, the question is whether or not Mark should accompany them on the missionary team that leads to this serious contention. Before we talk about the solution to the disagreement, I think it's necessary for us to ask ourselves, how might we know if contention between us is not primarily a result of our ambition, arrogance, ignorance, or insistence. I want you to know that I'm wording it this way on purpose. We need to be warned about our motivations. We often have disagreements because we're ambitious, and we're not reading our motivations on that, in that regard well. Sometimes we're proud. Sometimes we don't want to admit that we don't have all the facts. And sometimes we just plain insist on being right. Now, you know this is true about the majority of arguments you have in all walks of life. Like you just keep arguing to like make your point in order to be right, and you can't even remember anymore how it started. So the answer to this question that I've given you, I believe, is in the, the very asking this of our own hearts and motivations through dependent prayer and using God's word as a mirror. If we're not asking ourselves and other close confidants, how am I sinning? How am I not listening? What are my motivations? What is making me be so sure of my position? If I'm not doing that, then we cannot know if we're handling this the right way. But if we do that, then we're closer to being more certain that we're not motivated wrongly. 
As far as this particular situation between Paul and Barnabas in the text here, we have really no way of effectively weighing their motivations. So I think it's pretty pointless to speculate beyond the straightforward facts Luke gives us. It is the case that Mark is Barnabas' cousin, we learn in Colossians 4.10, but it doesn't seem fair to assume that there's any familial favoritism here. It seems pretty consistent with Barnabas' character to give someone another chance, relative or not. It's also not fair to presume that either of them is holding a grudge from the past, from from a, a resolved issue where Peter came down to Antioch and Paul had to rebuke him publicly. We learn this in Galatians 2. Paul rebuked him publicly for eating only with the Jews because he feared what they'd think of him and he if he had table fellowship with the uncircumcised Gentile believers. And even Barnabas got caught up in this and was led astray, Galatians 2, 11 through 14. But earlier in Acts 15, which I believe follows what happened in Antioch, Barnabas was now, I believe, fully on board. He was debating against the Judaizers alongside Paul. To the contrary, there's a good reason, there's very good reason to think that he was in full joyful agreement with the present resolution that came from Jerusalem, continuing to serve alongside Paul and others in Antioch. Remember their response of great joy? So we really don't see any selfish, prideful, arrogant, ignorant motivations. So it could happen. For us, we should posture ourselves this way. Never simply presume your motivations are pure. Never simply presume your motivations are pure. Even if you acknowledge that your goal is God's glory, to honor him, you must always be asking God, like the psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any grievous or wicked way in me, any impure motivation, so that God will lead us in his everlasting way. That sincere prayer from the heart of dependence on God will lead us, I believe, to at least two other things. We will, number one, we'll seek guidance from God's word by his spirit. And then number two, We'll practice mutual dependence within the family of God, seeking the counsel and perspective of others in the body of Christ. We need the help of those around us to help us measure our motivations. Something like this. They might be saying to us when I am talking, they might answer me like this. If you heard yourself the way I'm hearing you, or if you observed the situation from where I'm standing... I think you might be concerned that your motives are not as pure as you desire them to be and need them to be. I also, speaking of this collaboration in the family of God to help us to have accountability with one another, I wish so badly that we had incontrovertible proof that Paul and Barnabas had had done this sought the help of their fellow leaders in Antioch and had come to this decision with their support and consent. The best we have is a hint and a reasonable suspicion from their 
pattern of behavior that they must have done so. Barnabas and Paul had proven mutually submissive to this group of leaders in Antioch on previous occasions. In Acts 13, when they were commissioned and sent out as missionaries, and also at the beginning of Acts 15, when they were appointed by the leaders in Antioch to go up to the leaders in Jerusalem. So it's reasonable to suspect similar behavior here. Plus, our text gives another hint in verse 40 when it says that they departed, quote, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. That sounds like cooperation and consent. I make this point to tell you that it is beyond unwise, it is truly foolish to not seek counsel and to listen well to those around us if they caution our motivation. By contrast, we ought to be able to trust them to concur with our conclusions. Now, that doesn't mean that you should listen to leaders that you have serious concerns about their, their character in, in various ways. You have serious concern about their desire, that they're false teachers. You have serious concerns that they care more about their own glory than they do about God's glory. That would be another matter altogether. But don't be in that church. So the answer to guard against false motives is to have a healthy doubt of your, of your heart and to seek guidance by the Spirit from the Bible, God's Word, and to seek honest input from fellow believers. As we continue then, I find it helpful for us to also ask, why does separation become an acceptable solution to this disagreement? And then we'll also ask ourselves, how might we know if a disagreement should lead to separation? How, how is this, why is this an acceptable solution? It's painfully evident from the text that the sharp disagreement was the direct cause of their choice to separate from one another. In verse 39, the first part, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. So that means therefore, or as a result, they separated because of this sharp disagreement. And a sharp disagreement here means a state of immense emotional turmoil, especially expressed in words. <laughs> it would, this wasn't a small disagreement. You know how your Christian parents will sometimes say, we don't fight, we have discussions? That sounded like a heated discussion, mom and dad. This was a heated discussion. an intense argument that they couldn't resolve. Are not these guys church leaders and men of God who should be able to work this out? This is tough. The fact is they couldn't come to an acceptable arrangement that kept them together. The acceptable solution, perhaps the only solution, was to separate into two teams. We should admit that this solution, the, the, the solution they come up with undoubtedly generates not only like disappointment and maybe a little disillusionment for us, but I think it generated sadness for Barnabas and Paul. Although Luke sticks to the facts, he doesn't present this as, okay, no big deal. No, they couldn't agree, so they separated. And evidently, it was an option to separate. In other words, they decided that Barnabas could take Mark and go back to check on the churches in Cyprus, and 
Paul was content to choose another partner whom Paul had recently observed as a man of proven worth. Remember now, Paul has, has seen Silas in action along with Judas. They had, had been sent, so he, they cooperated together in Jerusalem to make the decision, and these guys were sent back to Antioch to help present this message. He had seen Silas in action. We don't actually know from the text how, you know, Barnabas went back to get Mark or how they sent for Mark or Silas. We don't know any of that. We just know that he took along Silas, a man of proven worth. And now here's our question again for us. How might we know when separation is an acceptable or the best solution? On occasion, the disagreement isn't because of wrong motivation, but because we care deeply about ministry for God. And we're passionately concerned for the people involved. Sometimes we might disagree because we're so passionate about ministry and we're so, we care so deeply for people. And sometimes, perhaps often, our evaluations of what is best is, is a, in a given situation are subjective. Do you realize that? We, there are things that we know from God's word, like this is God's will for God's people, you might think of God's will for God's people sometimes as, as kind of a road that's like this, and, and a church family, for example, is trying to make decisions within that context. We know these boundaries of God's will for us, but there are various things that we might choose to do, and we're desiring to do that which honors God most, and our opinions or our, even our views might, are, are subjective. Much of the time, then, we should actually submit to the prevailing wisdom of the leadership team deciding together, just like Acts 15, 6 through 33, so long as that direction is in accordance with God's word, and you don't have this terrible turmoil in your soul that it, that it goes against your conscience because you think it displeases God. But sometimes in, in such a situation, ministry decisions are being made that bring us to a crossroads. When we can't find a God-honoring solution that keeps us together, or when the prevailing wisdom of leadership prayerfully determines the same, then we might agree to separate. Or you might say that there is not a healthy solution that keeps us together in a way that helps to advance the gospel and promote the growth of believers in the most helpful way, then separation might be the solution. We could be too quick to go this route just to avoid the difficulty and awkwardness of working it out. <laughs> do we do that? In order to, we, we sort of like just divide because we, it's too awkward to deal with it. That's not what happens here. I mean, it is awkward, but they, they decide that this is the solution. It's not just trying to get an easy way out or simply because one or more of us doesn't want to be submissive to leadership. We might also feel like the only spiritually mature thing to do and the only thing that pleases God is for us to make it work that might not be wise either. Make it work. We have to stay together. We cannot split up. Now, again, I'm not talking about marriages. 
God does tell you to make it work, right? Submit to him. Christ at work in you can do this because you're no longer two, you're one flesh. Paul and Barnabas aren't (laughs) that. They're two different guys who have been close companions in ministry. They can separate. They don't want to. But in this case, this is the best solution. So the example of this passage indicates for us that there are times when the wisest thing to do is separate. Again, this must be done with the right motivation and not because one of us is disobeying God's word and not just fleeing a hard situation or fleeing because we don't like the decision that has already been made. Separating ministries must be the best solution when agreement does not seem plausible. In such a case, we prayerfully trust God to use us in new ways. And that's the concept of God's continued work that I want to turn to next. So just we're just admitting to ourselves, as unsettled as we are over Paul and Barnabas separating, is there indication here that God overrules and sovereignly orchestrates his plan? You bet there is. This is probably my favorite part of the passage. God does what God is going to do. Paul and Barnabas were probably, I'm telling you, I'm convinced that this was really sad for them. This was really hard. This isn't what they wanted to do. It was the last solution, but they did it. Look at God's providential orchestration. There's an immediate impact. Barnabas and Mark revisit Cyprus. Remember, they're retracing their steps to revisit the churches. And as they revisit the churches, they're going to be sharing the content of the message that was decided by the Jerusalem leadership. So Paul and, Barnab- or Paul and Silas go back by land through Syria and Cilicia, sort of going the, the reverse order of where they had been on their first missionary journey. Silas now forms, becomes, he's an ideal partner for, for Paul in this phase of ministry. Look with me at chapter 16, verse 4. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. Remember, like Paul, Silas had been there. Silas had also gone to Antioch to do the same. Silas also proves an ideal traveling companion for Paul because he is a fellow Roman citizen. You'll hear in Acts chapter 16, when they're in Philippi, that without a trial, they're beaten. And Paul is able to say later, no, wait a minute, come make the leaders kick us out themselves because they have treated us this way, men who are Roman citizens. Silas too. God's providential working. And then as we said, the long-term ministry benefits that Mark is restored to faithfulness. He authors one of the gospels that you have in the canon of scripture. Mark is helpful and encouraging. We hear his name come up over and over again. And so we ask ourselves, at such a crossroads, if we encounter something as difficult as this, what might allow us to separate peaceably and with peace in our hearts. One of the things would be mutual respect. 
I believe there's indication here that Paul and Barnabas separated with continued mutual respect. And then, of course, the one we're highlighting most is that we trust in God's providence. We hold our endeavors to please God and serve him with trusting hearts and open hands. The the more mature you become as a Christ follower, the more serious you are about realizing that my whole life is an investment in this following Jesus. My whole life is about belonging to him and being used by him. You are so invested that everything that you are aches when things don't go the way they, that you feel like they ought to go. You're so invested. And so we hold these endeavors to please God. I'll just, I'm just telling you this with sincerity from my own heart. I take the the endeavor to please God and be used by him so seriously, like my life depends on it. But that might also lead me to try to cling to things and control things that I ought not to do. And so I say that we hold our endeavors to please God with open hands. Do you see why I say it like that? There you are, on your knees before God. Please, God, use me. Glorify yourself. But don't be clinging to the thing that you think you need to do and how you need to do it. You do it with open hands. You remember that the people that you love, the people that you treasure, you want so badly for them to be changed by the grace of God, but you do it with open hands. God, these children whom you have given into my care are yours before they are mine. This is a stewardship, but they are yours. God, this ministry that you have given for us to do together that we call Branson Bible Church family, this is yours. It's not ours. It's yours. You do it with open hands. And that's how we can separate, as difficult as it is, we can separate trusting that God is sovereignly orchestrating to do what he knows is best. How well we work together is no small thing, especially in terms of our own hearts before God and our present ministry for him. And we believe in the sovereign orchestration of God and his perfect knowledge and authority and and in his ability to weave our lives together into the grand tapestry of his purposes. If we are aligned in our aim for gospel proclamation and and we're not motivated, motivated by prestige and power, then we can continue to serve together in peace or to separate in peace, trusting in God's providential work to orchestrate his plan. So let me close with this. The rare case of agreeing to disagree and separating. We're going to have disagreements. Disagreements are inevitable. We'll have disagreements because we're sinners, and we'll have disagreements because we see things differently, and because we have different experiences, different convictions, and so on. We might even on rare occasion have disagreements that are pretty significant, and we can't seem to reach a resolution. Most of the time, our solution ought to be to agree in the Lord. Do you remember Philippians chapter four, verses two and three? This is the category of most of our disagreements in the body of Christ. Paul says, 
I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord, guys. <laughs> Most of the time, the other stuff is peripheral. It's not essential. It's not the most important thing. I can get over my hurt feelings and just let it go. Or I can come to you and tell you, you sinned against me. And we'll come to resolution according to God's word as he tells us that we ought to do. Agree in the Lord. That's the category of most of our disagreements. And then the body of Christ comes around us when we disagree I also entreat you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together. Agree in the Lord. Don't make this about yourself. Let those around you help you to agree in the Lord. Talk to one another. Confess sin. Forgive and clear the air. Prefer one another above yourselves. But if we must separate, we'll do so because we have consulted God's word We've consulted trusted Christian advisors, and we believe we still have God's blessing to trust him to use us as we move forward. If we must separate, even if the circumstances are less than ideal, or even if there are some hurt feelings, we remember that we are a community in Christ and share the same goal of gospel advance. If we must separate, we will not depart defeated because we trust in the providential work of God, and we know that this separation is not permanent. We will be reunited to worship the Lord together in heaven for all eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word that challenges us sometimes right in the very types of situations that we might be experiencing in our church family. God, we thank you for the appropriateness of Acts 15 for this season of life and, and the way it challenges and encourages the leaders at Branson Bible Church and the way that it challenges and encourages each one to desire to be faithful to you. We thank you for the way that it draws our attention to the gospel, not by works, but by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the way that it focuses our attention on being together in the most important things. We thank you even for this example that sometimes separating does happen, and it might just be the best solution. But God, we pray that in all of these things, our hearts would be pure before you, and that you'd give us wisdom and guidance to know how we ought to best please you. And above all, God, we do trust in your sovereign orchestration of all things, in your providential work to move forward your plan, that you are building your church and you are making a people for your own possession. We pray that you will receive all the glory for it, both now and forever. Amen.